0: We are going to continue in our series that we started last week on Ephesians. So if you have a Bible, you can open to Ephesians chapter 1. We started this series, we're going to be going through for the summer. We're going to go through the book of Ephesians. We're going to have a couple weeks where we take a break. Uh, I'm actually excited about that. We have two weeks in a row. We are going to hear uh, from some of the newer pastors on our staff who are actually going to be planting churches. Uh, We have a church plant that has already started in Bruton. Uh, the BBE area, and it's not meeting every single Sunday. They're kind of doing a Sunday evening thing, uh, but we've hired full-time pastor to lead that one, um, and that's Pastor Mitch Wall, and he's going to come and share some of his story from the last couple of years, which is incredibly challenging. Um, he, he just recently lost his wife to cancer, um, and it just has been a, an incredibly hard thing. And so uh, I, I want to encourage you guys. That, that's going to be a, a break that we take from this series this summer. We're going to hear from him one week. And then the next week we actually get to hear from a pastor who is starting this week on staff with us who will be planting a church in St. Joseph, Minnesota as well. Uh, and so that's Tyler Kinzer. So we are excited to hear from kind of both of them as well. Otherwise, when we're going through the letter of Ephesians... Uh, this summer. And so last week, we started by looking at the first two verses, uh, the greeting that Paul gives. uh, But actually, most of our time last week was spent trying to understand what it looked like to write letters in the first century. Because I think for a lot of us, as we As we read through the Bible and as we read these letters, we kind of get an idea of what we think that maybe looked like. Like, maybe Paul's sitting in a room that's quiet by himself, by candlelight, and he's penning out this whole letter just start to finish, and it's this beautiful, he does it in one take, and it's like, yes, all right, here we go. Uh, The reality is, when we start to understand first century letter writing, it's very different from that. Now, we don't know for sure exactly how Paul wrote his letters, but there are things in the letter that point to that he kind of followed suit with a lot of the first century letter-writing things. And so he probably didn't write this by himself... He actually didn't write it himself at all. He would have hired a scribe, he would have had other people with him, and they would have been collaborating on this, and pulling ideas together, and doing multiple drafts, and it cost a ton of money, um, several thousand dollars just to send a letter, um, all sorts of things. And so if you missed last week, I'd encourage you, go back and, and watch that, because if nothing else, I don't think there's very many times in our life where we get to study and understand first century letter writing, and I do think that that plays into how we read Scripture and how we understand the Bible and, and understand the situation that these letters are being written in and sent in. So uh, if you miss that, you can go on our website. You can catch from the Long Prairie side of it on our YouTube channel. You can go. Uh, otherwise, there's a podcast as well. So um, today we're going to be jumping into the first part of Paul's letter. Uh, and I know it's a holiday weekend. We have people already over at family camp there. We have people over at Lake Beauty's family camp that's going on. I went out for the fireworks this weekend. And So we're missing people, but... I want us just to kind of, even though we're probably sitting here thinking about grilling maybe this afternoon or this in the coming days and all the plans that we have, let's just kind of for right now just focus in. Uh, and say, okay, I've, I've given up my Sunday morning here to gather together. Let's let's make this worthwhile. Let's focus in on what God has. So um, I'm not going to read our passage right now because I'm going to read it as we go through it. Uh, but would you, if you're willing and able, uh, would you stand with me as we, as we just open in prayer? If standing is difficult for you, that's totally fine. Remain seated. Not a problem. But let's just uh, open in prayer and kind of be ready for what God has. So Jesus, we just ask right now, Lord, that, uh, that our hearts would just kind of be synced with yours. Lord, that uh, anything in our, in our life that we need to kind of set aside to be able to focus better on you, God, that our attitude, our mindset, that everything would be ready so that when we open your word, God, that we would be changed, that we wouldn't leave the same, that, that, that things in our life, that we would begin to look more like you and reflect you more in our life. So, Lord, we just ask that in your name this morning. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. The first few chapters of Ephesians, uh, we said this last week, is, is actually kind of a retelling of the gospel. The first three chapters, it's retelling of the gospel, and then the last three are kind of like, what is our part in this? And now, not necessarily retelling it in the way that we think, though. Uh, Paul wants to, to demonstrate uh, to the church, uh, you know, like what is happening right now. And it's the, that what is happening in the Ephesian church and in the early church... ...is the culmination of everything that has happened beforehand. You know, often we'll talk about Paul as having this conversion experience that's not incredibly accurate because he wasn't converted from Judaism to Christianity. He began to understand that Jesus was the Messiah, the fulfillment of what he had. And, and so even in that, it's a, he, he basically kind of follows this. And so as we read through this, it's not a conversion. It's not this new thing. It, it's a continuation of what has happened. And Paul's going to lay that out for us here. Uh, and I think we often think of the gospel, when I say he's going to retell the gospel, as kind of this idea of like, uh, we are sinful. Jesus died for your sins. If you accept him into your heart, you're going to be with him for eternity. And we say that's the gospel. Uh, the, the problem is that's, that's not the entire gospel. That's part of it. Uh, the gospel is a much larger story that encompasses so much more. And so we actually call the books that talk about Jesus' life and ministry gospels. We say one of the gospel books. So already you see that that's bigger. This is Jesus' life and ministry. But when Jesus comes on the scene, in several of those books at the beginning, it says that he comes preaching the gospel. So if the gospel is Jesus dying and rising from the dead, how is Jesus preaching that before that's... Happen. And at moments, we see him say that to his disciples. He alludes to that the Son of Man is going to die, and they don't seem to understand any of this. But the gospel is so much more than this. The gospel is the good news about God's big rescue mission. And he's been on this for a long time. And so understand, like, in order to understand the gospel, you have to understand God's plan that he's had ever since we screwed up. And sin entered the world. So, our passage today, it almost starts to hint at kind of this big, full story. And Paul tells it in this beautiful way where he parallels uh, this rescue story with what is happening for the Gentiles in Ephesus. All right, and it's a little confusing because there's kind of like two or three things that are happening as we go here today. All right, so I'm going to read through these, uh, and at the end, I'll kind of, I have a slide that'll show us, like, all three of these, how they parallel together. And so if you're feeling a little bit lost, hopefully, at least at the end, it pulls this together. Uh, because Paul starts off this letter with a poem or a prayer, or and we don't always notice that when we read through, uh, because the Bible's been broken up in different ways. You've probably known this, but but the original Bible did not have chapters in it. Um, it actually also did not have any of those headings that are in there. That's been put in at a later time. It didn't have any of the verses that are in there. And actually, a step further, it didn't have any punctuation. Because their language just didn't have punctuation like ours does. And so really, when you would open this up, it would look like one big, long, run-on sentence to us. And so you can see why translations at times break paragraphs in different spots, have headings in different spots. You know, and sometimes you get to an end of a chapter, you read the next verse, and you're like, that should have been with that one. Like, what is going on here? You know, different things. Because this is all kind of, we've, we've put those in there to help us find things. Um, and so as we read through this, this is kind of a prayer or a poem that Paul has here. Um, and uh, I want us to kind of read through this. It's in three chunks. Okay, and each one of the chunks, the first thing that he does of those three is he, he equates them to one of the Godhead, or the Trinity. So you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So each one of these is going to relate to one of those. And then he pulls in kind of an Old Testament story, part of this rescue mission. And then he kind of relates it to the Ephesians. So those are the three things that are happening as we go here. All right, so the first section, uh, I I want to kind of read through this, um, starting in verse 3. All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. All right, so like I said, each one of these sections it's going to relate to, to one, of the, one of the Godhead, one of the Trinity. And this first one is focusing on God the Father and the plan that he has for his own people. All right, and what's supposed to happen as we read through this, there's a lot of things that we miss in English. All right, uh, they're almost called like, I've heard some scholars refer to them as hyperlinks. Okay, so you would read something in the language and you would immediately think of something else. Okay, be like if I stood up here and I said, like, certain lines, and all of us would immediately think about something. If I said the the line, like, I am not a crook. Okay, now, beyond just that line of saying, I am not a crook, what comes into your mind as you hear that line? Like, okay, we have President Nixon, and you have Watergate, and you have, like, all these different things that come up. The same thing was happening for them, but we often miss these hyperlinks. And so one of the things that's happening here, that the early church, the the church in Ephesus, they would have read this. They would have connected this actually back with Abraham. All right? And and God's initial blessing with him. I want to read this. This is in Genesis 12. All right? The language that he's using here, talking about blessing, being chosen. uh, It's meant to link back to God's promise to Abraham. So it says, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. That's key right there. I'm going to bless you, but not for you. I'm going to bless you so that you can bless others. That's how this was always meant to be. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Right, and this is the start of God's rescue plan. All right, Like Adam and Eve screwed up. Cain had killed Abel. Uh, great cities were made that were filled with just wickedness and, and all sorts of things rising up. Uh, God had reset creation with the flood. Then humanity pulled together after that. And they kind of wanted to build this big tower and make a name for themselves. And So we just keep seeing humanity screwing up. Um, and, and so... God decides, I'm going to grab one person, one family, pull them out. I'm going to begin to work through them. And over time, then, this one family will bring it back to all of creation. And so this is what's happening, and this is what, uh, what we should be thinking of when we read that first section in Ephesians. All right? Um, and so this is where the gospel really starts, And Paul is showing the church in Ephesus that through Jesus, you are now part of God's family. That's where this goes in the next section here. You are part of this chosen group, but you're chosen for a reason. So he says this, verse 7. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. So that first part was focusing on God the Father. The second part moves into focusing on Jesus, on the Son. And the first part was focusing on Abraham and that blessing. And now we are transitioning um, with the story of the Son, uh, the, the story that he would be trying to get us to link to would actually be the original Passover in Egypt. And again, as, as you read through that, you probably weren't like, oh yeah, I immediately recognized the Passover in that passage, okay? Uh, but Passover was the night in Egypt where the firstborn of every family was going to die. And, and the way to be rescued from that fate was the blood of the lamb being smeared or sprinkled kind of on your doorpost. So a weird thing for us to understand. Um, and this rescued you From the judgment and the and the language that was used for that moment in Passover is this idea of redemption, um, and deliverance. Okay, and so this was the time that God went to Egypt and bought for Himself the people that had been enslaved there. Like that's kind of the for for the ancient Jews, that's the way they would have looked at this. God went to Egypt and He ransomed, He purchased, He redeemed those that were in captivity. All right. So when verse seven. says um, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. That's the link right there, that they would be seeing that, seeing the same wording, same language being used, and they would go back to Passover. How many of you guys are like, I I miss these things. I, I miss these things. If I'm not like reading through books of people that are significantly smarter than me pointing this out, I'd be like, wow, I did not see that there. Um, And so this link is being made in the same way that the blood of the lamb purchased the Israelites. The blood of Jesus purchased us. That's why Jesus is often depicted as a lamb or the Passover lamb. So the lamb bought the Israelite people. Jesus purchased all people. And it ties back to the first part by saying through Jesus, we are now purchased and adopted into that family He's saying the family of Abraham that is going to be blessed by God and be a blessing to others. Because of Jesus, you now are purchased into that family. All right, then it goes into this last section of it. It says, Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he made everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now, you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news, that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. All right, God the Father, God the Son, this last one, Holy Spirit, okay? We had Abraham and the blessing of him. Passover and the Israelites becoming part of that family. All right, now Paul is finishing up here, focusing on the Holy Spirit and trying to link us to a crucial part of the rescue story. Uh, And and it's quite beautiful how this all wraps together. Uh, And and all the things from the stories of this rescue are all pulled uh, together in these pieces that, that show the Ephesian church, like, wow, we are part of this. And so first to get this, we need to understand the idea of inheritance. That was a word that we saw twice in that passage. Okay, inheritance is the linking phrase here to an Old Testament story. Nowadays, I think of inheritance, and for me, I think of Brewster's millions. Okay, and so some of you guys, you wouldn't know this. This is a movie back in the 80s with Richard Pryor. Okay, and he was a a dicey guy, but... uh, (laughs) this movie is about this, this minor league baseball player that has a, a distant relative that dies and he inherits all this money. And there's a wacky story that goes with it. He gets $30 million, and he has to spend the $30 million in 30 days. And then if he does that, he gets $300 million, but he can't have any assets left at the end of it. And it's just this whole big story. But that's the idea. Like, you think of inheritance. And for me, right away, it's like this like money. Like, okay, someone passed away. The inheritance that you get... And if we aren't thinking money, we're probably thinking things that can be sold and turned into money, all right? Like that's kind of just the modern idea of inheritance. Uh, At this time, for them, inheritance hundred percent this would have focused on land. Like land was a big thing, and you passed it from generation to generation. So when he says inheritance here, this is linking back to the promised land. All right, so you have Abraham and the blessing. The Israelites go into Egypt, and they're rescued. And they leave Egypt, and they are moving towards the promised land. So that's the Old Testament, the, the rescue mission that he's trying to point out here. And then he's bringing it back to us. All right, And so for them, like they, the, the Israelites were purchased. They were now free to go and claim their inheritance, the promised land. So when Paul begins to talk about inheritance, it brings up this idea. Uh, And and for the Israelites, when they were being worked hard as slaves in Egypt, when all these different uh, injustices were happening to them, the idea of the promised land kept them going. Like, we have this thing. We have this promise that God is going to come through on. This this land that we have. All right, and so this is the, the three parts of this. And what Paul is saying here is the Holy Spirit is the proof and the evidence that God will be true to his promises. So the Holy Spirit is proof of it, and in a way the Holy Spirit is also the inheritance that they are getting. So for the church in Ephesus, this is what all this means. Okay, we're going to go to this little grid here. Hopefully this lays it out if you haven't been following this. So God the Father had chosen Abraham and, and promised to bless him And all who are part of his family. Alright, and that means that anyone who is part of God's family will receive those blessings and has a purpose to be a blessing to others. Alright, so that's what's happening, kind of going across there. We have God the Father is the first piece of that. Then you have Abraham and, and what is promised to him. And then for the church in Ephesus, for the Ephesians, it's that God's family will receive those blessings... And that they have a purpose with those blessings, to bless others. All right. then the next section that he goes into is Jesus redeemed all of humanity in the same way that the Lamb redeemed the Israelites at Passover. Okay, because of what Jesus did. And now, the Gentiles, this is non-Jewish people, non-Israelite people, can be part of the family of Abraham, the family of God. So that's the three for that second one. And then it says that the same way that the Israelites inherited the promised land, that's that story, God's family, Jews and Gentiles, will inherit the spirit of God, which is going to be proof that they are part of the family of God and that they are part of this plan. All right. And so it, it's kind of this confusing, like if you were to read through this beginning prayer poem in Ephesians chapter 1, we would not easily pull this out. But what I love about this is when I take a step back from the Bible and I realize how many of these pieces are perfectly like laid out and pulled together to show these types of things. Uh, it, it's absolutely amazing. Like, this book is incredible. And, and I can and will study this the rest of my life. And I will continue to be amazed and shocked by how much there is in the Bible, and how many things are being pulled together. Like, I pray that the day that I die, I am still being blown away as I read about this love story of God who sacrificed everything so that he could have a relationship with me. Because every time I read through this, there is more there that I didn't realize was there, that I was missing. And I think when we do have an understanding from last week of what first century letter writing was like, it really, it blows my mind to think that like, You know, because there's one side where I say, well, yeah, of course, the Holy Spirit, like, penned this entire book. Of course, there's going to be all these little pieces there. Well, the Holy Spirit gave inspiration, but, like, this is amazing to see all these different authors coming together, weaving all of this together, God inspiring them in these moments of things that, that are just, like, beautiful as we take a step back and look at them. And then... The fact that, that Paul is writing about this freedom that everybody has in Christ. Well, he's actually in prison. He wrote this letter from prison. And he's talking about the freedom that we have. I have a hard enough time appreciating freedom when I'm free. <laughs> like, let alone sitting in a, in a jail cell writing this out and being like, isn't it amazing the freedom that we have? And, I mean, arguably, we kind of live in, you know, one of the more free places in the world. We kind of pen that as our little thing, you know. And I think that we miss this, though. And I think we need to be better at stepping back and remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made. And the amazing gift that is the Holy Spirit in our lives. Worship team, you guys can come. And we're gonna we're gonna kind of wrap this up. And what I want to do at the end here is we're gonna we're gonna take some time and just actually sing through uh, another song. And what I want for us today is I want us to slow down. I want us to take time to reflect. And honestly, I think that's what a lot of people are trying to do this weekend, right? Like when you come around the Fourth of July, a lot of people are trying to kind of take this step back and reflect on this and what does this mean. You know, this holiday, what does this mean for me, and what does this mean for my family, Uh, and all these different things. And and I think, like, you know, we we think through the cost of freedom, and what do we do with that freedom. And, And this is all great, and like, but this goes right in step with that. And I think the shame here is that for a lot of American Christians, we have an easier time, and more often, we reflect on the freedom that we have in our country, Then we reflect on the freedom that we have in Christ. And it's just this easy thing because everyone around us is celebrating it. And because you walk into the grocery store and there's just red, white, and blue everywhere. And now your licorice is red, white, and blue. And like everything is red, white, and blue. And you just can't get away from it. And you're like, you're always being reminded of this. But how often do we not stop and be reminded and reflect on the fact that like we have Freedom. In Christ. A freedom that goes far beyond any type of freedom we could have inside of a country. And I think at times we almost get so upset about like, because we have this freedom in our country. And like three years ago, I, maybe this was a, a dumb move, but I remember preaching a message and it was, I want to say the 4th of July landed on Sunday. And I talked about this idea of how the like American values in Christianity, they actually don't mesh very well. Because what do we, like, value most as Americans? Freedom and independence. What is it, what is the entire life of a Christian? Like, yes, we have freedom in Christ, but it is this idea of being dependent on God and living a life of servitude to Him. And so you have these ideas of, like, you have American here and you have Christianity here, and we kind of try and bring those together together, But the reality is they honestly don't mesh super well. And I think at times we spend more time focusing on the freedom that we have in our country to be able to gather together this morning, which I am thankful for. At no point this morning was I worried that someone's gonna break through the doors and arrest all of us. I'm thankful for that, I am. But how often do I forget to actually slow down and stop and think about the freedom that I have in Christ? How often do I not live that out by instead going back to my old life and being a slave to sin. On Easter, I used maybe a terrible analogy of, it's like if you have alcohol poisoning and you have to get a new liver, and you get a, you get a transplant, you get a brand new liver, and you walk out and you're like, great, let's celebrate. Kegger at my place tonight. You know, and sometimes we're like, we have this freedom in Christ, but do we live in a way that reflects that freedom, that celebrates that freedom... Or do we go back and live in slavery of, of our sin and the things that Jesus sacrificed Himself to set us free from? And so this morning we're going to close. Just We're going to go through a song again here. And I want us to just spend some time before we go out and we spend other time reflecting on different things in our life. Before we leave here today, let's, let's take some time and think about that. Reflect on this that we have this freedom in Christ. And that we, are, we get to be part of this family. What I love is that whole third column, everything written to the Ephesians, that can also be applied to us. Because of Jesus, we can be part of that family that we never would have been able to be part of. And because of that, we have this inheritance of the Holy Spirit and of God's promises to us and to his people and to his faithfulness and so I want us just to kind of take this last little bit of time. What I'm going to do is I'm going to hand it off, actually, to Pastor Aaron. She's going to come up, and she's just going to close us in prayer here. And then, we, and then when she's done and she says amen, um, actually, why don't we do this? Let's stand to our feet even right now. And then when she says amen, we're going to go in and just sing one more song together and just make sure that we at least take a little bit of time and reflect on what this means for us.
1: Father God. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for, for the word this morning that we opened up your word and, and re- you have revealed to us something new. That God that we can so easily skip over and miss and we miss the impact of it. So God, thank you for, this, for the time that we can not rush through it to take our time to see the importance of how we, how we do apply this to our life, how it's not just a story in a book somewhere, but God, this applies so personally to each and every one of us. And so God, as we spend the next few moments, as, as we sing this song, God, I pray that our hearts would just reflect what has been revealed to us, that's new to us, and help us to just worship you and be in awe of you. And God, help it to not just stay in this room, but as we walk through the doors, as we go to leave, as we go to celebrate in all these different ways, help us to understand the true freedom that we have in you. God, help us to not forget that. Help that to be our central focus in how we live our lives and how we, what we say and what we do. God, it should impact every part of our life. So God, speak to us in the next few minutes. Change us, challenge us, give us new vision. Thank you for who you are and your faithfulness. In Jesus' name.